My message today is entitled, What Does God Want? He does want something from us, very specific. And we don't always give it to Him. So I'm going to talk about what does God want. As Jesus walked this earth, He called people from all walks of life to come follow Him. The Bible records, as you know, a story of a couple of fishermen that dropped their nets and began to follow Jesus. Later, a tax collector named Matthew left his tax booth and got up and left his former way of life and began to follow Jesus. But this message to follow Jesus was not only reserved for a small group of men whom we know as his apostles. Jesus gives this call to anyone who's willing to respond to this open invitation to be his disciple. Luke 9.23 Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, herself, and take up his or her cross daily and follow me. You see, Jesus didn't come to make us Christians. He came to make us disciples. For it is only a disciple who is willing to follow Jesus with his or her own heart, with her, their whole heart. Only a disciple is willing to deny himself or herself when it's not popular amongst others. Only his true disciples are more concerned with obeying Jesus than worrying about their own comfort or their own desires. Only a disciple was able to deny himself and to take up his cross and follow Jesus in all that he has commanded us to do. But what does that mean? What's that mean to follow Jesus? Well, first of all, it means that we are to, we know his voice and we obey him promptly. John chapter 10 verses 3 and 4. Speaking of Jesus as our good shepherd, says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. You see, if we are his disciples, we spend time with him. We spend time in his word every day, praying or reading or meditating or listening to God. We know the voice of one who speaks to us saying, come closer, I've missed you. We know the voice of calling us to seek Him. And also the voice of telling us to turn off that TV show. Get out of that conversation. Let go of that anger and rage. Pray right now for this very pressing need. Come into my presence and be still so that you know that I am God. We know that voice if we are His disciples, do we not? If we are His disciples, we know His voice and we can discern it immediately, knowing when He's talking directly to us. How many times have you been in one of our sermons here at church and you say, why did pastor talk about me this Sunday? People get mad at me. I'm not, I'm, that's God. That's God speaking to us. God speaking to us indi individually. 
especially in times of great confusion, with so many voices around in the world, we need to know His voice. And if we are a disciple, because we've spent time in His Word, we know His voice. We can discern it from the other voices of the world. If we are His disciples, we can discern His true voice. To be able to discern it from the other inner voices of our sinful heart. From the deceptive voices of temptation. From the justifying voice of our own logic. And from the voice of the evil one, which appeals to our flesh instead of our spirit. If we are His disciples, we know His voice. And we follow His voice immediately. Yet there are other ways that God makes available to us to know how to follow Him. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, that internal compass, pointing us always to Jesus. He speaks to us through prayer and through inner promptings. And yes, we have the living Word of God, which leads us daily as we meditate in His Word. But God also has given us people to help us follow Him. In fact, Paul gives us these instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You see, if we're looking for a further example of how to act, how to respond to life's challenges, how to walk like Christ from a human standpoint, Paul invites us to imitate him or to follow him as he follows Christ. And yet we know that Paul was a sinner. And so you say, why would God say follow this person? Because God can't show you how to repent because He never sinned. God can't show you how to make it up when you really blow it. But guess what? He uses people to do that. Godly people. Paul was a sinner. In fact, Paul said, I'm chief amongst all sinners. Paul used to kill Christians. And God chose him as someone to imitate as he follows Christ. Paul teaches us how to repent. How to be humble. How to follow Christ when we know we have sinned. It's not easy. But it's necessary for us to follow a godly example that's been given to us for how to respond to God's grace and follow His holy commands. Now understand that Paul was not perfect, but he was as honest as he could be. If you look in the book of Romans, chapter 7, Paul kind of shares what it's like to live with a sinful nature, even when you're a Christian. And sometimes it kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, if you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of hard to understand this, but it's, there's so much truth there. In verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that is what I keep doing. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know what you're supposed to do and you keep messing up? And know what you shouldn't do, but you keep doing that? That's, that's, that's because we all have this sinful nature that we want to please God, we want to follow God, but we all, the Bible says, all of us have sinned. But Jesus gives us grace so that we can continue. You see, even though God gives us people to follow who are doing their best to follow Him, none of them or us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. The point that God is trying to make is by giving us people to follow 
is to not write them off or to continually criticize them because they make mistakes, but rather watch how they humble themselves when mistakes are being made. Notice how they allow God to use them in spite of their weaknesses. You know, some people will never lead or never take a position because they're afraid of making mistakes and afraid of being a fool or afraid of dressing up like you're purple and green and going to a public event. People are deathly afraid of that, so they will never take that responsibility or follow the call of God. But God uses us in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our shortcomings. Maybe you've heard this before. Talking about the great men and women of the Bible that God has used despite their imperfections. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk and passed out. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Mary Magdalene was unfaithful. Abraham was a liar. Why would God use terribly imperfect people as examples to teach us how to follow Him? It's because the greatest lesson that we can learn is to humble ourselves when we have sinned. How to come clean or admit that we're wrong. How to confess that we've wronged God and wronged others. And how to respond without any excuses. But just come directly to God and confess. Think about it. Why would God say of David that he's a man after my own heart? Certainly God knew that David would have an affair with a woman who was not his own wife. And certainly God knew that to cover up that sin, David would have her husband killed. But why would God say he's a man after my own heart when he was clearly a sinner? Well, one of the reasons that David had that heart of God was that when he was convicted of his sin by Nathan the prophet, David responded like this. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, God, against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me A clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from Your presence and do not uphold Your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me by Your generous Spirit. Do you see that? God is saying when we confess and come to repent, and we're all called to do, we're not supposed to just say, I'm sorry. Remember with your kids, they said, I'm sorry, and you say, what are you sorry for? Why would God be anything different? If we want to say, I'm sorry, just to get out of that feeling, how is it any different? How are we going to stop doing it again? But if you're looking for a time in confession and repentance that we're all called to do, turn to Psalm 51 and read that to God and let it be your prayer to God and mean it. God already gave us His Son, Jesus, to show us the perfect example of living a holy life. But He also gives us others who when they sin and when they fall, when they totally blow it, are humble and honest. And they show us how to approach His throne, how to confess sin and how to receive His forgiveness. But God didn't just stop at the renowned people of the Bible for us to learn how to follow Jesus. Throughout the Bible, he calls us sheep and makes references not only to Jesus as our good shepherd, but also to other shepherds who help guide us. Pastors, if you didn't know, are also called shepherds. They're shepherds that give, that God gives to people. Jeremiah 3.15 And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's one of my jobs is to feed you with God's Word that hope that you would understand it. God sees His children as sheep who need, do need to be shepherded, which means to be fed with His Word, to be protected from the enemy, and taught how to follow the Lord through the dangers of the world. How many know that we live in a very dangerous world today? How many are thankful that you have a good shepherd that can lead us in Jesus Christ? As a shepherd is one of the terms that God uses to describe the role of a spiritual elder or a pastor given to God's people to feed them knowledge and understanding. Again, understand that we are not perfect and we make mistakes. But by His grace, God calls us to lead and to feed and to protect His flock. Being a shepherd of the flock of God comes with great responsibility. God chooses shepherds. In the Bible, he calls them biblically qualified elders. It's a qualification to what it comes to become a shepherd. And he calls them as pastors to help lead his flock and to keep them preserved from the world. 1 Peter 5.1 explains it this way. The elders who are among you, he's speaking of spiritual elders based on these qualifications. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Here, Peter has a message to the spiritual elders, or as it pertains to us, to the pastors who serve God's people. Verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. The spiritual elder or pastor in a church is called an overseer or a shepherd. We are called to watch over the flock that God has entrusted to us. 
not out of obligation, but willingly and eagerly. Verse 3, nor as being lords over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Shepherds are given to God's people to be examples for them. What this means is that God uses a shepherd or a pastor's life as an example for the flock. All the good and all the bad. How many want to be a pastor now? This takes great faith. This takes great humility. It takes great willingness to be used by God in very difficult and uncomfortable circumstances so that others may know how to follow Christ and how to get back to Him when they've messed up. God uses pastors as examples for His people. And the truth is that oftentimes the lessons that we learn that God uses us for are humbling, are very difficult, are challenging, and they are impossible to do except by the grace of God. There have been times when God allows me to make a fool of myself just so that I can model His grace. There are other times when God causes me to be hurt greatly by others, being mistreated, being judged harshly and unfairly, being rejected publicly so that I can demonstrate how to forgive others. Certainly one of the most challenging things for all of us is to truly forgive someone who hurts you and continues to hurt you. Now you would think that being a pastor must be difficult in this world where people don't believe in Christians. But I can tell you as a pastor, a lot of the attacks I get are right from within my own church. People being critical of me and judging me and saying that I'm not doing enough. My wife and I are not doing enough. It's happened here. And I hope by grace that you can extend grace and stop that, but that's the truth about being a pastor, is we receive critical judgment. But I need to learn to love. And I need to practice forgiveness. And that's what God's working on me. And that's what we're all called to do. But understand this. This is one of God's strongest commandments because we're all hurt and we're all all wounded. And we're all people, we're all hurt. And God says we have to forgive others. It's a command that we don't talk about. Now we read the, we say the prayer of the Our Father every Sunday, but the most important part of the prayer is, is in the two verses after it that we don't read. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 say this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you know what that means? It means if you don't forgive someone who's hurting you, who has hurt you, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. If you don't forgive them, God holds our sins against us. If we are not forgiven, we cannot enter into His presence in eternity. That's what that means. That's a very serious thing. So God says, I know you're going to be hurt. I know you're going to be judged. I know you're going to be criticized. I know people are going to sin against you, but it's not your right to hold on to that. You have to forgive them. And it's hard, as you know. This is impossible to do in our own strength. That's why we need Jesus. Being in ministry, I've become used to being criticized and judged and slandered. It's not as glorious of a job as you might think. 
So how do I work through forgiveness? Because God said, I want you to be their example. How do I show that by example? When I'm constantly criticized or judged harshly by some, I've learned to ask God, because I can't do it in my own logic, my own reasoning. Instead of trying to will my mind into, or my heart into forgiveness, I've asked God to show me how to truly forgive someone who's bent on hurting me and others. And so God has given me a revelation on how to do this. You see, when people continually hurt you, when they continually judge and criticize and speak evil about you, it's challenging to forgive someone and truly mean it, if we're honest. What causes us to hold on to unforgiveness is the thought that this other person is unwilling to change. This is a judgment against that person that will never change in your mind unless you see a different result. And some of you know how hard it is to forgive someone that keeps on hurting you. That's hard. Remember, we're only we're human. We're not perfect. Yet God tells us to forgive others regardless of whether they change or not. Do you know that Jesus forgave the very people who were killing him at the time? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. What can we learn from that? You see, the only way that we can forgive others is by seeing them not as unwilling, but rather as unable. There are many times when people are unable to change, unable to stop treating people harshly, unable to stop judging people, and unable to stop hurting others, because they themselves are hurting so greatly inside. There may have been a time in their lives when they were hurt by someone else, by someone they trusted, and no one came to their rescue. They were vulnerable and they were let down and they were totally lost control of the situation. And so now they tell themselves, I don't want to go back to that place when I was totally out of control. I don't want to feel vulnerable again. And so to prevent that from happening, they over-control every situation because they don't want to go back there. See, most of the problems we have have a root of fear. It's a fear-based root. The reason why people act that is because they're afraid of something at the root level. They're afraid of losing control and afraid of being vulnerable. And so now they overcompensate by trying to control or over-control every situation in their lives because they are still very wounded. When they perceive losing control or they perceive losing power or having to admit that they are wrong, it brings them back to a time when they were out of control and it was incredibly painful and they don't want to go back there again. Therefore, they will do whatever is necessary not to return to that pain, to those feelings of rejection and fear, to those feelings of worthlessness. So they reject others to protect themselves. They reject you and I to protect themselves. They never admit wrong because they fear being out of control. They criticize others when they are feeling insecure. There is an actual wound that was never healed. And the saddest thing about all of it is that God can heal that wound if they were honest with Him. If they put their complete trust in Him to bring healing. But because their wounds are so deep, they will not even allow themselves to be vulnerable with God, let alone with others. 
And so, they stay wounded. They continue to reject others. They continue to hurt others. Not because that they are unwilling to change, but because they are unable. Now I'm going to tell you, this is not knowledge that I came up with because I'm a counselor. This is knowledge that my Almighty Father put in my heart to share as your example. It's a revelation from God that allows us to help to forgive others when we cannot do it in our human strength. It helps us to forgive, to unlock a piece of our hearts so that we can lead with compassion to forgive. Now, we don't like it. God doesn't say you have to like it. You still didn't need to know that it's hurtful and a pain and sin. You don't have to like it, but God says, but we have, we have to forgive. This is what God has shared with me as your example to teach you how to forgive. Yet there are other times that God allows me to lead by example on how to come to God when I've messed up. Guess what? I'm human. I mess up. I may be a shepherd, but I am a human shepherd. I mess up like anyone else. And while we are called to come to God to confess our sins, no one else is called to do this publicly. No one else is called to be an example except your shepherd or your pastor. And so to demonstrate this humility as your example, I lean on this verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you follow the logic of this verse, if God forgives you completely and cleanses you from all unrighteousness, then you can fully appropriate the righteousness of God and then not even the devil can stop you in condemnation. You've been cleansed and healed and forgiven by His grace. Understand that the devil does not want to see you standing in victory. He doesn't want to mess with the righteousness of God because he already lost once before. So the devil will use any means available to him to persuade you not to confess your sins to God. He will use fear, telling you that God will reject you. You should know better. You're a Christian. He will tell you that God is ashamed of you. He will tell you that people will judge you that you will lose your good standing with others. And sometimes this is true, but it shouldn't stop you from confessing your sins to God. Many years ago, Nancy and I were elders at a large church. Um, and God was working on us. He's working on me like He does anyone. Anyone who's truly seeking God, God's always working on you. Always working on something else. You get something fixed, okay, let's work on that sin now. You know? So he was working on us, and in our church we had a, a, a great time of worship. And at the end of every service, people would come to the altar and they would get prayer and people would get healing and prayer, and it was just a, a beautiful time. People would freely come, acknowledging, you know what, I'm convicted by that message, I'm going to come forward and I'm going to ask for prayer. So being open to God working on me, and I was, an, I was a, a pastor, associate pastor at the time, I would frequently come up to the altar and ask for God, forgive me, heal me. Then one day my senior pastor pulled me aside and said, knock it off. And I said, what are you talking about? 
And he said, as a leader, you can't keep coming to the altar in public asking God to forgive you because it will show others that you are weak in your faith and that you are not a strong leader. True story, isn't it? Long story short, we left that church. But I had continued to spend time in prayer and repentance. I'm more concerned about obeying God than following an insecure pastor who's afraid to let God use him as an example of being humble. And this is why I'm here today. To be used by God as an example. This is what it means to come to God and confess. What does God want? He wants our honesty. So today I confess to you and to God that He may be glorified. Hopefully you can either relate or this may be a model for you to use when you feel compelled to confess as well. Heavenly Father, there have been times when I have not spent enough time in prayer before I reacted out of emotion. I have sinned. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. There have been times when I have watched movies or surfed the Internet and came across things that I should not be viewing, and yet I did not stop my actions soon enough. I have sinned. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. There have been times when I was tired and truthfully, I didn't want to be around others, and I have avoided people dishonestly. I have sinned. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. There have been times when I have complained about others even after God was telling me to stop. But I continue to speak out of my hurt. I have sinned. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. There have been times when I was part of conversations and people were talking about others and I did not stop it fast enough. I have sinned. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. There have been times when my motives were not pure, when my intentions were to manipulate praise or affirmation from others. I have sinned. I am wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. There have been times when I have had impure thoughts, and I did not immediately cast them out as God's Word instructs me to do so by His power and by His grace. I have sinned. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. There have been times when I have overindulged on food, when I have been overcome by stress, instead of pressing into God all the more and trusting Him alone as my answer. I have sinned. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Heavenly Father, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Your presence, O Lord, and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. As we move into this song of reflection,
I want you to understand that this is the time, the first week of the month, that we go to the Lord's table. And God has called us to all take that inventory ourselves to search our hearts. God already knows it's there. He tells us not to just do it as a ritual, but to come to Him for cleansing and healing. So as our team, as Conrad and Alicia lead us in this song about God's love at the cross, let God do a thorough work in you and don't hide it. I'm not asking you to get an open mic. That's only the pastor that's called to be the example. Between you and God alone, admit it to God so that you can be cleansed, that you're not holding guilt or shame or condemnation. God wants to forgive you if we're honest. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your perfect love that casts out all fear. God, we thank You that Your Word says if we repent and we come to You, that You blot out our sins and that times of refreshing come from being in Your presence. Lord God, as we have searched our hearts right now, as things have come up, God, we release those things to You. We forgive others that we know that we need to forgive. And we know that we can by Your grace. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us the places that we've messed up. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. We hold on to Your promise of forgiveness, of wiping our slates clean so that we can come to your table this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.